Good morning. Hey, it's good to have everybody here today. If you remember, um, last week we were in the book of Judges, and we were in chapter 14, and a lot of us remember that as Samson's wedding and the riddle. And that was in the town of Timnah, which is southwest of Jerusalem. In chapter 15, uh, well, excuse me, the tail end of chapter uh, 14, Samson, in verse 20, but Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. So Samson has left, left his wife with the her father's family and went back to uh, his family. He can in chapter 15, he's going back to see his wife. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. But after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it came about that Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go in to my wife in her room. But her father did not let him enter. Okay, and the wheat harvest was is normally early... Um, early May. Can everybody hear okay? Okay. And her father said, I really thought that you had hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please let her be yours instead. Two thoughts on this trying to appease Samson, saying, here, take the younger younger sister, but then you're going to have to pay me the dowry. Kind of like uh, what happened to, let's see, there was Rachel and Leah. Yeah, that's a very similar story all over again. Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes, took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail, and put one torch in the middle between the two tails. And uh, as was mentioned last week in uh, Hebrew, the word for fox and jackal are, um, I believe, the same word. So it may not have been foxes as we know, but a, a scavenger hound like, like a jackal. And, but he got 300 of them, and it lends credence that they're jackals because jackals run in packs. 
boxes are normally singular, and a a hunter with a net would be able to catch a, a pack of jackals, so the number would be increased quickly. But even so, it's 300 of them, and he ties them tail to tail. When he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the shock and the standing and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and the groves. Okay, so he's depleting their food supply. Is this an effective warfare tactic? Yes. And it's been used through the centuries. But Samson is seeking his vengeance against the Philistines. Then the Philistines said, Who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. If you remember back in in, uh, 14, that was the threat that was made if she didn't get the answer to the riddle. Didn't do her any good. And Samson said to them, Since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you, but after that I will quit. And he struck them ruthlessly and with a great slaughter, and he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock at Edom. Okay, here again we have to remember the literally going down. So he went from Timnah down in elevation to the cleft in the rocks at Edom. Then the Philistines went up and camped, went up, and camped in Judah, and spread out in Leah. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so the Philistines are coming, trying to capture Samson to, re- to uh, seek their vengeance. Well, under the old law, an eye for an eye, right? And a tooth for a tooth. So it goes to here, goes to here, goes to here, goes to here. When does it end? It could literally go on forever. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock. Okay, 3,000 men of Judah going against Samson. And they tell him, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? Okay. Are they talking to an um, uninformed individual? Did Samson not know that the Philistines were the rulers? Or are these 3,000 men of Judah so uh, I can't think of the word subservient of the Philistines that they're scared for their lives? Where's their trust in God? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. 
And they said to him, We have come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. So Samson's going to go along with it. He's just making him swear that they're not going to kill him. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands. Yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Leah, the Philistines shouted as they met him. And this, okay, why would the Philistines shout? There's our enemy. He's bound. He's going to be given to us. Okay, and so they're all excited. They're running forward shouting. But God has a surprise for them. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he reached out, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Okay. Nazarite, were they to touch anything dead? No. Is the jawbone of a of a donkey or a horse a formable weapon? Not really. Against a thousand men? Okay, a lot of a lot of commentaries, a lot of uh, uh, opinionators say that uh, well, Samson. Such a mighty warrior as Samson, it was beneath his dignity to use the jawbone of a donkey. Flip side, they're saying he was such a, uh, a clever, a uh, advantage-seeking individual that he says, here's a jawbone of a donkey instead of a rock. Okay, but that's immaterial. He took what was at hand and used it to the best of his ability. If I can flip over to the preacher side a moment, how many times do we take advantage of a situation to the best of our ability? We should be doing that more often. Okay, in verse 16, Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey... Heaps upon heaps, and the jawbone of a donkey have killed a thousand men. And it came about when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he named the place Ramathleah. Okay, and that literally means a discarded jawbone um, in the area of Leah. And he became very thirsty, and he called to the Lord. And said, Thou hast given this great deliverance by the, the hand of thy servant. Now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. And God split the hollow place that is in Leah so that the water came up out of it. When he drank, his strength returned and he revived. Therefore he named it Enhakor which is in Leah to this day. 
So he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Okay, it's interesting that the writer says, and it's still there to this day. Well, who was the writer? We don't know. How long after the time of Samson? We don't know. But the well or the spring was still there. In doing research, um, there was a, a commentary was was saying that was more on the historical side. Said uh, that spring had been recorded in the 13th, 14th, and 15th century, and so it was still there. <clears throat> okay, it's interesting that it says that he judged Israel for 20 years. Is this the end of the story? We know, no. But at the time of the writing, how would we know, or how would they have known that he judged Israel 20 years? I'm going to bring out some food for thought for you. Okay, so here it says he was, it was 20 years, and in the end of uh, 16, it says he judged for 20 years, but it deals with a different segment, a different part of his life. So was it 20 years total or two different 20-year, you know, for a total of 40 years, or does it matter? It doesn't matter. He was there, and he was a judge in the sense of he was a deliver a fighter for Israel during this time period. Okay, so chapter sixteen. We have him traveling again. Now Samson went to Gaza. Okay. Gaza was one of the five major cities of the Philistines. And the five major cities would have had five rulers, one over each city. And so as we get into this story of uh, Delilah, it's going to put a little bit into perspective when they, in essence, are offering a bounty on Samson. Okay, but also as one of the five major cities, it would have been one of the five major areas of worship to their pagan gods. So this all ties together in this chapter. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here. They surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until morning that we will kill him. They didn't want to attack him with him awake. They didn't want to take, attack him with, um, to where he could defend himself. 
he, they were looking at a surprise attack to give them the, the advantage. And they said, oops, wrong chapter. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose, took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts, and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. How big were the city gates? We don't know. Okay, other than it was a city gate. But he pulls the post, he pulls the doors, and the crossbar. Okay, did he do it all at once? We don't know. God gave him the strength. The story is recorded. But we do know that he carries him to the hill opposite Hebron. Gaza's in a valley, and it's a steep valley. And as you go north toward um, Jerusalem is north and east of Gaza. Hebron is between Jerusalem and Gaza. So he's going in the northeast direction, carrying these doors and pillars or post and the cross member as to they're all fastened together. The, um, it says the post and the uh, doors are. How he's carrying them, we don't know. He just carries them to the top of the hill. How far did he carry them? In doing some research, it was basically between 9 and 11 miles to come up out of the valley to where he could look to Hebron. And so as close as it's figured is 9 to 11 American, English, British miles, as opposed to Roman miles, um, that he carried them. And it says that, uh, and after this it came about. So that's the end of the story. What a bigger insult to the Philistines than one of their five major cities that's supposed to be so strong, so secure, have the gate breached and the city left wide open by an individual, especially by an Israelite. And after this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Nobody knows exactly where the valley of Sorek is. Um, in research and all that, it was an area that never just uh, carried through as far as the name. And the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies, and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So the lords of the Philistines, it's... There's five lords of the Philistines, 1,100 pieces of silver each, 5,500. 
Is that a lot of money? Yeah. Okay, so Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how we may bound you to afflict you. Okay, come on, um, Joe Frazier. I want to know your weak spot. Muhammad Ali, yeah, I want to know your weak spot. I want to beat you. No, he's not going to tell. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Okay, these cords. Okay, anybody ever make a rope from scratch? Okay, how about violin strings or guitar string? Well, in the old days, they used what they referred to as cat gut for the strings. And a lot of times for the bow strings, they did the same thing, used... Uh, intestines and then as it dried it was strong and because it was there was multiples and twisted um, it was a cord and it was extra strong but extra flexible and so this may be the type of cord that Samson's referring to here and with it being green it would stretch rather than break And then the lords of, in verse 8, then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to them, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he snapped the cords as a string of tow, or tau, snaps when it touches the fire. Anybody know what tau is? Anybody make candles? It's a real soft, real soft um, wax. And so um, continuing verse nine, so his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, "Behold, you have deceived me." And told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. Okay, if you remember back to his wedding feast in the riddle, his wife, bride, started nagging him. And we know how eventually that turned out. We may see the same here. And he said to her, If they bind me tightly with new ropes which have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him and, and bound him with them and said to him, Samson, or excuse me, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, for the men were lying in wait in the inner room, but he snapped the ropes from his arms like thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me. Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. 
And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Okay, the seven locks of his head was traditional with the Nazarite vow that they braid as the hair got long, that they would braid it. And there appears to be seven braids that they would do to cover, to incorporate all of the hair so it wasn't just a tangled mess. Okay, and in talking of the the weave of the seven locks on a loom, when you weave it through, and you've got, I believe it's called the, the wharf, and the shuttle goes back and forth, and and it's pressed all together, and this is the inference that it was woven into the weave of on a loom. So, verse 14, So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web, and she fastened it with a pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin of the loom with his web. Okay, other versions will say that he um, pulled the loom with the strength of his neck. And then verse 15, then he said to, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have told, not told me where your great strength is. And it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. She nagged him and nagged him. So he told her with all, so he told her all that was in his heart and said, a razor has never come on my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Verse 18, Then Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her, and brought her the money in their hands. So they were ready to pay as soon as it was proven. And she said, verse 19, And she made him sleep on her knees and called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I, and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. I will shake them free. No, he knew better. He knew that his strength was from the Lord. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. 
and he was a grinder in the prison. Okay, why do you think they mentioned bronze chains? Well, they had iron. They had brass. Bronze, during this time period, was a... Well, two things. Could it have been the Bronze Age? Could it have been that they had perfected bronze more than the ironworking? Because we, during Solomon's day, um, we're told of chariots of iron. Char- uh, Moses' chariots of iron coming out of Egypt and pursuing them. Okay. There's been in the, I forget which uh, pharaoh of Egypt, there was a gold box they found in one of the pyramids, highly decorated gold box, and inside of it was an iron knife. The iron knife was prized so much more than gold. Okay, so they, and they put out his eyes. Now the hair, and they took him to Gaza, one of the, the five chief cities. Now the hair of, the, of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. And the Lord of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice. Okay, how long of a time period passed? We don't know. We do know that he was in prison, he was a grinder, and his hair was growing back. Okay, and the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to, to reju- excuse me, rejoice, for they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Then the people saw him when the people saw him. Okay, this could have been in the daily grinding, um, pushing the, the grindstone, it could have been when he was being paraded through the streets. It could have been when he was brought into the city. But when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. So it happened when they were in high spirits, okay, during this festival, during this um Worship to Dagon. In high spirits, they said, Call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entered, entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Okay. The Philistine temples, um, archaeologically, the temple of Dagon was a typical post and pillar construction. And this, we read that there was a, a, a roof and a lot of them had a balcony type with open cross members coming across so that they could see what was going on down below for the worship. Okay, the unique thing about the Philistine architecture and the especially the temple architecture, was because it was a large opening, they devised a, a special means of supporting the roof. 
because of the pillar section. And we typically, if we were to build this with a, a post construction, we would have a post and a beam and another post, you know, so two beams came to one post and going across. Well, they had devised a way of minimizing the post. And in this section, they would have two beams coming and two posts and then a short beam and long runners with the other beams coming into them. So it was kind of like stacking uh, Lincoln logs or blocks and you have two pillars that are basically supporting the structure or are key pins in the structure. And these are the two posts that are being referred to that um, uh, Samson uh, asked to be led to or pillars that he's asked to be led to. Okay, another thing that we need to uh, take a look at is he entertained the people. They were tormenting them. They were torturing them. Um, some versions uh, use this word entertaining as dancing before. Okay? They were literally making him dance in front of the people. And so then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests. Okay, so they, even a small boy knew what pillars he was talking about, that I may lean against them. He was telling the boy that he was exhausted from, from the entertaining the people, from the dancing. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Okay, 3,000 people on the roof, so Samson may have been amusing them outside, so they were up there looking down. Okay, it may have been an open auditorium um, with balconies around. And either way, there's about 3,000 on the roof. Well, how many would that be down below as well? In verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord. Was he in the habit of calling to the Lord? We only have two instances. The one where he's thirsty after killing the thousand, and this, of where he's, ca he's calling on the Lord. So as a man of um, that has direct help from God... He's not very appreciative, but he is humbled here at the end. He asks the Lord, and it's often when we're helped by the Lord, what is he wanting from us? He's wanting us to ask for more. Okay, He's, he's willing to help us if we're willing to accept it. And then Samson called, verse 28, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, 
O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand, the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Okay, Samson was willing to sacrifice himself for one more act for, for God. Then his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him. Okay, literal brothers, family, tribe, it's immaterial. It's that the Danites came and uh, got his body. Uh, came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Estol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus he had judged Israel 20 years. So was it 20 additional years after the killing the thousand? Or that this story was written and added to the text? We don't know. We don't know if it was a literal 20 years or if it was a 40-year span. But what we do know that is that God used Samson to start the deliverance of the Philistines. How long did it take to get delivered from the Philistines? We've got several other instances. A long time later, we have the story of David and Goliath. Saul fighting the Philistines. Okay? And so that's, that's well past this time. Okay, we've got a few more minutes. Um, we're going to go into... I'm going to talk about chapter 17. And this is a throwback to the conquest of Canaan. Or I should say just after the conquest of Canaan. It's a story of um, the folks of Ephraim expanding their inheritance that they were given by Lot through Joshua. Okay, and what was it that Joshua told the people? When you go in and, and to your land, that's just the start. You've got to finish kicking out, destroying the inhabitants of the land, or they were going to be a thorn and a briar to them for the rest of their lives. And this, the story of Micah and um, the Danites uh, seeking uh, territory is in... Got to keep up with my notes. 
Okay. Um, we have in chapter 17, now starting verse 1. Now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, okay, and we're going to go into the story of um, the idolatry of Micah's family in the sense that they don't know how to worship God. And there's going to be a reference of uh, folks coming through as they're spying out the land prior to continuing to wipe out the individuals. And this is over in, what, quarter till? Okay, we've got a few minutes then, good. Okay, in uh, chapter 7, five minutes. <laughs> okay, um, so what I am going to say is the rest of the book of Judges is there's two stories, and they're more of historical events than what we refer to as the typical judge. Um, So in chapter 17, Now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother and said to his mother, and his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. Okay. Micah, the son, confesses to having stolen the money. He says he's going to return it. His mother turns around and says, I'm going to give it back to you to get a molten image, something cast and engraved so that we can worship God with them. So there's, there's the typical idol worship. So when he returned the silver to his mother, he took 200 pieces of silver, or his mother took 200 pieces of silver. Where did this 200 pieces of silver come from? Was it part of the 1,100? Or was it the restitution under the law of Moses that a thief was supposed to make when he returned um, the stolen property? Okay, 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made it an ephod, and household idols, and consecrated them. Okay, what's an ephod? The priest was to wear an ephod, and all kinds of jewels, and what was kept in the ephod the Urman, or Urim and Thummim, okay, the device for casting lots. If you remember the story of uh, the Battle of Ai, 
when they lost. They had just won the Battle of Jericho, but they lost the Battle of Ai. And the priest used the Urim and Thummim to divide Israel by tribe, by family, by households. And it was discovered that Achan and his Achan was the, the one that had sinned against God. Okay, so they're trying to follow, attempting to follow some of the law, but they don't understand it. Okay, uh, verse 5 again. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod, and household idols, and consecrated one of his sons that he might become the priest. Okay, where were the priests to come from? Tribe of Levi. Okay, the sons of Aaron. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah. Of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he was staying there. Okay, a Levite of the family of Judah. Sounds like a contradiction. Because priests were to be what? Levites. And the Levites were a tribe. So how could you have a Levite of Judah? Well, it's like saying, well, Larry's uh, an Alaskan by way of Texas. You know? Okay, that may be the simple answer. But we're going to continue on the story of Micah, and we'll start in, uh, um, well, we'd gotten to verse 5, so... We will uh, please read ahead, and please remember that this is part of the Israelites' history, and this is something that Jesus would have known since a child. Thank you.